So, Dad, happy mm-hmm. belated birthday. It was recently your birthday. Thank you. Thank you. There are a number of things going on, I know, on your side on a personal level that are new and exciting, including selling your the family home that we grew up in and my sisters and I grew up in and moving into Manhattan full time, which is big. It's been like 30 some odd years in that house, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm excited about it. For those uh, listeners that don't know me well, uh, I grew up in, in the city and... You know, we raised our kids out here on Long Island, and uh, now we have this big house, and just just my wife and I. So we're moving back into an apartment in the city, and it's kind of a mess right now. Tell you the truth, there's a lot <laughs> going on. You know, because we, you know, we fell in love with a place, so we bought it in in the city, but then we have to sell this one, and pretty you know, quickly. It's, it, yeah, yeah, and quicker than you thought, just, I guess. Much quicker than I thought, and we haven't sold this one yet, and, and so how do you buy it? And actually, thank goodness for McGill Advisory and those people over there that are helping me out. I mean, they were, they're instrumental, actually, in, uh, in terms of allowing me to make this happen. Uh, plus, you know, they were there in terms of structuring the sale of my ortho practice. So, I mean, you know, we have... Uh, Brad as our guest today. We're going to talk today a little bit about some of the financial aspects, but you need a financial advisor, you know, whether it be McGill or someone else. So bear that in mind, Amy. I hear you loud and clear. I appreciate that (laughs) advice. And uh, we're going to share some of that advice that you've gotten over the years today with Brad Cachero from John McGillenhill as our guest. Uh, So let's do that now. Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists. The podcast that makes you the authority in orthodontics in your community. Get ready for insights on how to compete on expertise and trust against mail order and retail orthodontics. It's not always about the lowest fees. And now, from the People in Practice team, your hosts, Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein. Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists. Leon Klempner, retired, proud board-certified orthodontist, Mm -hmm. graduate of Maryland Dental, Tufts Ortho, and currently on the faculty, part-time faculty at Harvard. And I'm Amy Epstein. I have an MBA in marketing from Baruch College in New York City, and I co-founded People in Practice with my dad. It's been just about 10 years now, and welcome today. Today we're going to talk about how you can save some money and better prepare yourself for the new tax laws that are coming. Uh, we're once again excited about having financial expert Brad Cuchero from the McGill and Hill Group returning as our guest today. Brad is both a CPA and a certified financial planner. Uh, he's been working in the dental industry since 2007. He knows everything there is to know. He's a graduate from the University of Iowa, holds his bachelor's degree and master's there. And I think he's looking for a win. Uh, his college football team, Iowa, is playing Penn State, I believe. So it's a big game. <laughs> Brad, thank you for coming back on the podcast. Hello there, and thank you for having me. Excited to be here again. And as always, it's an honor and privilege. And hopefully we can provide some valuable content to the listeners today. I have no doubt about that. Every time we talk to you or anyone at the McGill and Hill group, um, there are valuable things to learn. So let's get right down to it. 
From what I understand, the House Ways and Means Committee recently released over 800 pages of a proposed bill that would make many changes to income, estate, and gift taxes. Can you talk about how this may affect our ortho listeners? Absolutely. So what I'd like to do, Amy, is start uh, and look back into 2017. And in December of 2017, the administration passed a huge tax bill and there were significant tax law changes. And we had the same question back then. How is this going to impact our orthodontic clients? And once we got the bill, we ran calculations, we found on an average orthodontist would save anywhere from fifteen dollars to $25,000 a year in, on their tax bill. So it's pretty substantial. You know, a lot of people look at things on a monthly basis. So we said that's about $1,500, maybe $2,000 a month, which is a good chunk of change. So we fast forward to today and the bill they proposed in September We'll get into the nuts and the bolts of it and the tax rates and all that. But really, most orthodontists want to know, hey, what's the bottom line here in terms of how much money is this going to cost me? And although it's impossible to know exactly what that range is going to be, our best guesstimate is it's going to be an increase of about the same compared to what we saved back when the 2017 bill was passed. So our best guess is that most orthodontists who are making a high income, it's likely going to hit them somewhere between fifteen dollars and $25,000 a year, which is $1,500 to $2,000 a month. So that doesn't feel good. It doesn't look good. Um, a lot of people are not happy with it. At the same time, if we frame it as we had a th- three-year run where we paid less tax, now we're going back to what it was before, you know, psychologically and emotionally, hopefully it, it won't feel as bad. Now, in that proposal, the first thing they're looking to do is raise the top tax rate. So currently it's 37%, and in the proposal they're looking to increase it to 39.6%. So almost a 3% increase, and typically that applies on income somewhere north of the five to $600,000 range. So depending on the orthodontist, what we try to do is get their taxable income below $500,000 to avoid the top tax bracket, number one. But more importantly, number two, as we're going to see here over the next few minutes, there's a lot of potential changes that only apply to people making four hundred. dollars a year. So the first one would be the top tax rate. The second one, most orthodontists right now are structured as Mm S-corporations. And the whole goal of the S-corporation is to get money out of the business, payroll tax free. And there's a tax out there called the 3.8% net investment income tax that does not apply to orthodontists practice income. Under the new proposal, unfortunately, this 3.8% net investment income tax will apply to S-corporation profits for doctors making more than half a million dollars. So historically, we've said let's take a, a low salary or reasonable compensation and let's get as much money as we can out of the practice 
as a distribution. And now that distribution is going to be taxed at the same rate as though we took it through payroll. So as far as long-term strategies on that, the, the number one we've come up with since payroll taxes are deductible at the entity level, uh, we think doctors are going to likely have to take big bonuses uh, to save about 0.6% on their, their income tax rate. Hmm. Now, I didn't preference this today. These are all proposed laws. Mm -hmm. These are not actual laws. So this could change at any minute. And what we say now, if they change proposed laws, uh, we could do a 180 down the road. So I want to make sure our listeners know these are items that may happen uh, and they haven't happened yet. The third item that may affect orthodontists is the proposed increase in the capital gains tax rate. The current law says the tax rate's 20% now. Under the proposed law, it's potentially going to go to 25% on income higher than $450,000. So while most orthodontists throughout their career don't have significant capital gains or dividend income where this could really hit them hard, where it could hurt them is when they go to sell their business. When orthodontists sell their business, typically there's a large amount of goodwill transferred to the buyer, which is taxed at capital gain tax rates, which are currently 20%. And if doctors sell their business, uh, that could potentially go to 25%. Now, there is an exception in the proposed law for doctors that had a contract that was binding by September 13th of 21, they're grandfathered in to the old tax rate of 20%. However, for all contracts that happen after September 13th, uh, they would be subject to the new capital gains tax. So, Brad, let me pick up on that capital gains portion because just like you, I talk to orthos all the time. I spend most of my day talking to orthodontists, mostly about marketing, but also about, you know, what, what's the strategy long term. And if they're approaching retirement age, the topic often comes up about selling to a OSO or a DSO. And I know that you just talked about the potential increase in capital gains tax. I know the stock market is an all-time high. So... What kind of advice would you have to somebody that's at this point considering selling their practice and have that potential capital gains uh, liability? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think on a previous podcast, we spent a lot of time about potentially selling to DSOs and, and the do's and the don'ts. And I don't think we spent a lot of time on tax ramifications of that. Mm -hmm. So, orthodontist, that's one of the most common questions we've been seeing uh, over the last, well, last several years. And a lot of orthodontists say, well, should I sell my practice to avoid the increase in capital gains tax? And what we said prior to this proposed tax law is we don't want a tax bill to influence the business decision. Now that the proposed tax law is out, if it actually goes through and the capital gains rate goes up for all contracts on or after September 13th, then 
it takes the decision out of our hands. The decision's been made. The tax rate's up. We shouldn't sell sooner or later because of this potential tax increase. So what I'm talking with orthodontists about when it comes to DSO is, number one, can you financially afford to retire regardless if you're selling to a DSO or not? Once we know we can afford to sell, then number two, how long are you going to work? So I was chatting with a new orthodontist the other day, and they say, well, I want to retire at a certain age. And I said, well, let me back up. When do you want to be financially free? Because our goal is to get the financially freedom first and then figure out the retirement portion second. So once we hit financial freedom and we can afford to sell our practice, that's where we say, how long do you want to work? And do you want to continue to own and control the business? Or would you rather take your chips off the table, sell to a DSO, and, and do a work back? Normally, if we're looking at purely from a financial standpoint, um, if we're going to work three years or less, selling to a DSO can be more lucrative. If we're going to work three to five years, it may be a break-even. And if we're going to work more than five years, a lot of times continuing to own the practice and selling out at the end is more lucrative. But I think, Leon, you asked about, hey, the stock market's at an all-time high. If we go and we cash in our practice now, get a huge check from a DSO, the question is where are we going to put the money? And a lot of investors right now are really fearful of dumping it all in the stock market. So a lot of some of the orthodontists have invested more in that DSO entity. In that particular case, we're investing in a company, don't have a lot of diversification, and it's a speculative investment. We're kind of swinging for the fences. Um, if doctors don't put a significant amount of money in that company and they don't have any debt, they'd have to look at alternative investments, real estate, stock market, but in our experience, most of the time, stock and bond market is where we suggest orthodontists put it. So I have a hard time giving up control of an organization and cashing in and investing in something that we have absolutely no control over. So my advice to a lot of our clients is we can't predict the stock market or the future. So let's hold on to the business another few years, keep our cash flow machine, see how things go, and at that point, you know, reconsider selling. Mm -hmm. uh, from a tax standpoint, as we previously discussed, if the capital gains rate goes up 5%, just a, a very basic example, and we have a million-dollar capital gain, that's about a $50,000 tax hit. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a large chunk of cash. At the same time, most orthodontists, when they sell out, they have 4 or $5 million of assets and $50,000 is not really going to dictate whether they can sell or not. Mm -hmm. So that's extremely helpful. I, it sounds like a gigantic puzzle that you work with clients on piecing together and figuring out. On this podcast, we invite people who have questions to call them in and, and ask you directly. Could I play a caller question now, Brad? Absolutely. That sounds great. This is Dr. Jay Lawless in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hi, Brad. Thanks for taking my call. 
Can you talk a little bit about what doctors should consider regarding the newly proposed estate tax laws? Curious about that going forward. Absolutely. I didn't hit on the estate tax laws in the opening uh, question, but they should be considered. Uh, Right now, an individual can die and leave up to $11.7 million estate tax-free. So that means if we're married, we can leave almost $24 million estate tax-free to our heirs. Under the proposed tax legislation, the government is looking to reduce that to approximately $6 million per person or $12 million per married couple. So essentially, they're slicing it in half. Now, we have a few orthodontic clients who have net worths that are north of $24 million. Uh, Not many, but a few. We have a lot of orthodontic clients who have net worths in the 10 to $20 million range. So if the proposed law actually goes into effect and we have a $15 million client and they can only leave $12 million to their kids estate tax-free, that means $3 million will be taxed, which will yield a a state tax of over a million dollars. So it's a significant, significant change. And it's really hard to plan for because no one knows what the estate tax exemptions are going to be in another three, four, five, eight, ten years. So I think the answer really depends on your age and your net worth and what risk you want to take. In other words, if we're in our 60s or our 70s and we have a really high net worth, 20, 25, 30 million dollars, and we're more likely to have an estate tax than an orthodontist in their 40s or 50s, I would be aggressive in making large gifts before the end of 2021 and taking advantage of the current gift and estate tax law exemption. So we have a lot of high net worth or a few high net worth clients who are looking to make significant gifts to get the money transferred from their estate to their kids' estate so it would be completely gift tax-free, estate tax-free, and then all the future growth would also be outside their estate. For the uh, younger clients, 40s or 50s, who they have a pretty good net worth, may have a slight estate tax problem if they died today, but not a significant estate tax problem yet, they're going to have to make a decision even though this decision is going to last for another 30 or 40 years. Do we want to roll the dice and give a lot of our money away today at such a young age? Or do we want to roll the dice and keep it and hope the estate tax exemptions go back up down the road? So it's really difficult. Uh, It really depends on the client and their circumstances. But I would say the general rule is if we're in our late 50s, early 60s, and 70s, we want to look to make some large gifts. If we're in our 30s, 40s, early 50s, we may want to defer that decision until we have uh, future estate tax law changes. Well, that's that's interesting um, information. And for Amy's uh, interest, 
don't expect the check <laughs> because I'm not in that category. <laughs> you know, because I, I saw Amy doing like a happy dance. I was waiting like for something dance. like really excellent to happen just now, and then it just like balloon deflated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not in that ten to. I don't know. Whatever millions are up there. I don't know who those orthodontists are. I don't know any of them, and I'm certainly not one of them. But if you are, this is valuable information <laughs> of listening right. to the podcast. But while we're talking about valuable information, um, for our listeners, I know there, you know, there are certain things you can do, there are certain things that you can't do. And I know that you need to do them before the end of the year. So uh, I'm interested, Brad, if you can share some uh, actions that some of our listeners can take with regard to year-end tax planning that might potentially save them some money. Absolutely. There's really three that come to my mind. The first is funding the retirement plan or having the right retirement plan. So we have until early next year if we want to adopt a cash balance plan for 2021. And if we're looking or considering to do that, that's something we can start looking at now. The cash balance plan allows us to take a significant amount of money and dump it into the qualified retirement plan to get tax deductions. So that's usually where we start is with the retirement plan. Historically, the advice has been to accelerate deductions into the current year and defer income to the next year in order to mm -hmm. uh, either lower our taxes or defer our taxes. Given the proposed tax rates may go up, if we can slam income into 21 at the 37% rate compared to next year's proposed rate of 39.6, we want to do the opposite of the historical advice. We want to accelerate income into the current year. And then if we're looking to accelerate or we have bills pay that need to be paid, we want to look to defer those into January of next year so we we get a higher deduction in terms of the tax rate. A lot of doctors historically buy equipment at the end of the year to lower their tax bill. And what the tax law says is you can depreciate the equipment when it's, quote, placed in service. So what we suggest to orthodontists, if they do want to buy a piece of equipment and they need a piece of equipment, is to buy it, take delivery towards the end of the year, and then we can determine exactly when the equipment was, quote, placed in service, whether that was New Year's Eve of this year or New Year's Day of next year. And we can either accelerate the deduction or defer the deduction. So those are the main points that we're talking with orthodontists about. And um, it kind of goes against what we've always said, but it's what's in their best interest economically. Yep, that's super helpful and um, you know counterintuitive to what what is normally yeah. recommended. So I'm glad to be talking about it, um, Brad. The you know my last question for you is: Are there any you know similarly what there are things that are counterintuitive this year now that there are proposed tax changes? Are there any tax traps that we want to avoid that you want to call out now? I, yes, I think the biggest one uh, and the hottest one right now are what we call the research and development tax credits. 
there's a lot of companies out there that will call an orthodontist and say, hey, we can sell you these tax credits and they cost X. And then when you go and file your tax return, it's going to save you X times two in your taxes. And we have all the laws to back them up. It's legit. Here's how it works. We have the legal team on staff, and you, you're basically crazy if you don't buy them. So that's what's going on right now. Now, although the R&D tax credits are legal, and there's a legal basis for them, one of the things they teach in tax school is look out for some sort of strategy where the main goal is tax avoidance without a business purpose. If the sole intent is to avoid tax and really has nothing to do with the business, then the IRS may eventually shut those down. So we saw these about 20 or 30 years ago. There were some creative retirement plans that utilized life insurance that were sold the same way. The IRS came in and shut them down. The most recent are what we call syndicated conservation easements. I won't go into the detail on what those are, but these were sold over the last 10 or 15 years, same concept as the R&D tax credits. And over the last several years, the IRS has come in and attacked them. And they require strict reporting requirements, which basically says, hey, an orthodontist needs to report this type of transaction to the IRS. The IRS then has record of it, and you're much more likely to be audited. And a lot of those conservation easements right now are being shut down and penalized heavily uh, since it didn't have the economic basis the IRS requires. So when it comes to the R&D tax credits, I'm not going to tell orthodontists don't do them because they're illegal, but we do suggest orthodontists avoid them because we think down the road they're going to be shut down and they're too risky uh, for our clients. Thank you for that. And thank you for all of your advice today. We really appreciate you joining us and providing your very valuable insight. Um, and if our listeners would like to learn more about your services or McGill and Hill and want to contact you, uh, what would be the best way to reach you? Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me on the, the podcast again. It's always an honor and privilege to be here. And if our listeners would like to contact us, uh, you can certainly go to our website at mcgillhillgroup.com and submit a question through our website. You can also call us directly and set up a call to discuss any of the strategies we talked about today and see if there's an opportunity down the road to potentially work together. That sounds great. Brad, thanks again. Pleasure talking to you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Leon. You can subscribe or download other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate you telling a colleague. For more information about people in practice, you can sign up for our free marketing newsletter on our website at pplpractice.com. And thanks for listening. And guess what? Soon, you'll actually be able to see us as we launch our YouTube channel. So you'll have your option of either listening to the traditional audio podcast like this, 
Or you could watch a video podcast where you'll actually see us in person. <laughs> If you'd like to work with the best marketing company in the world, contact me, People in Practice. Uh, you could reach me at leon at pplpractice.com. I'd love to chat about uh, how we can help you grow your practice. We certainly believe this is the best time to be an orthodontist. We're in the golden age. So until next time, bye for now. Thank you for joining us on the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, where we help your practice grow within a massively disrupted industry. Subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on social media. Find us online at thesurvivalguidefororthodontists.com.